Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hey, man, we back at it! What are you doing? Back at it! <laughs> let's go, man! Let's go, let's go, man! Let's, go, man. let's, go, man. let's get after these fools! Together on three, one, two, three! You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to a victorious edition of the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host and partner in crime, whether he's feeling well or if he's under the weather, he's battling through. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Dude, you're under the weather, my brother, but uh, I think our listeners all appreciate you battling through, just like this team did today, in order to be here and, and react to the game. Yeah, this is my Michael Jordan flu game moment right now, so I'm embracing it fully. Uh, and the Broncos kind of uplifted me with a, a, a really season-defining win, a, a gutsy comeback victory. I want to eat a lot of crow on this episode because I've trash-talked Case Keenum, Vance Joseph a lot this team, but they stepped up tonight and they showed their mettle. Um, and I was actually really impressed by this victory, so I, I want to talk about it tonight. We have a ton to get to today, a lot to react to and analyze. But first, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. You want to follow the, the Twitter account because it's the only way for you, really, uh, to get your questions in for the Mile High Mailbag each and every week and unburden your soul. You can always hit us up on the forums as well on MileHighHuddle.com. As always, feel free to do that. But the surest way for us to see it quickly after the game is both Zach and I are busy. We're getting up our post-game content. We're getting ready for the podcast is to find us on Twitter, follow the show so that we can see your reactions and your mentions on Twitter. Also, if you haven't, take some time, leave a creative review and a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show, but especially on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart. Shout out to the YouTube fans. We love you guys. Keep it coming. You're doing a great job. We love the interaction there on YouTube. But it's also on Google Play, Spreaker, wherever podcasts basically can be listened to. So if you haven't done that, take some time, leave a review, five-star rating. We appreciate you. And also, we got to say thank you really quick to the sponsor of today's show, Audible. You guys, you can go out right now and get yourselves a free 30-day trial and an audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on an Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. You guys, I use it each and every day. I love it because I'm a big reader, but I don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that I want to read, and you'll love it too. So go to audibletrial.com. Don't forget to slash huddle up. Get yourselves that 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choosing to give it a whirl. Big thanks to Audible for continuing to sponsor the show. So, Broncos go in to L.A. to the soccer stadium in which last <laughs> time they were there, they were shut out 21 to nothing, And they go into this mm. game seven-point underdogs. 
and basically steal one. The Chargers, I mean, they should have won this game, but the Broncos found a way, steal one, and Brandon McManus is able to atone for his grievous sin from Week 9 and put the Broncos up and over the hump 23-22. What I love about this game was an important side note is that it overlooks the comeback by Case Keenum. We'll talk about him in just one second here. But Brandon McManus missing two field goals in Week 9, that moment of redemption. And Vance Joseph had a great quote after the game saying uh, it was something like, this moment is a mile high. It's that great for him. So I'm happy for McManus. True gutsy comeback victory. It saved their season. Their playoff hopes are on life support still, but it keeps that hope alive. There's actually a lot to build on from this game. And even more importantly is, because that's a great point, it keeps the season alive. I mean, you wrote about this in the week leading up to the game that the Broncos, according to ESPN, have basically a 5% shot at making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And really, the only way to guarantee a a shot, and maybe not even a guarantee, but the, the closest thing the Broncos can get to a guarantee at making the playoffs is to win out. Now, that's a tall order, especially for a team that's lost as much as they have over the last season and a half. But... They needed to to win this game, not just because it was a divisional road game, not just because they've struggled traditionally on the road under Vance Joseph, but because of the symbolism of this game, winning this game, what it could mean for them from a juju, from a momentum perspective. In the Broncos, we've talked about it, in fact, on the last episode of the show, Zach mm-hmm. and I ran through, we, we broke down the schedule, we looked ahead, we made our picks, and it's not the most favorable schedule. It could be worse. It's at least the Broncos, with the, with the exception maybe of Pittsburgh, the Broncos aren't playing the hottest teams. And that's another thing Vance Joseph talked about after the game is it's like, look, we've basically played every hot team in the NFL this year, which is absolutely true, with the exception of probably the Saints, right? They're going to get the Steelers, who've been hot. But the only other team that, that they've been fortunate enough to avoid this time is the New Orleans Saints. But if you look at it, I mean, the Broncos have played these really surging teams extremely tightly the last one against the Texans came down to a a missed field goal and some botched decision making on the part of Vance Joseph but this time the chips fall favorably for the Denver Broncos so one thing um, I, I think we should talk about here Zach is do you think knowing what we know about this team and I wrote about it after the game too is this the type of win for what we know about the Denver Broncos that can be that springboard to a a resurgent to can give them that energy and that mojo momentum to go down the stretch and start picking off and winning these games consecutively and put them in a position to actually make the playoffs. You, you never know in the NFL. Anything can happen. I will say, though, if they lost this game today, uh, considering the officiating and the and the nature of the game to a division rival coming off a bye, um, Vance would have absolutely lost the locker room with the loss today. So not only are they working for the playoffs, they know that if they can avoid back-to-back losing seasons, it also probably saves Vance Joseph's job, or at least presents that opportunity. You know, Maybe he's gone regardless, but at least if they have a winning record, let's say, uh, Elway can justify keeping him again. So for the players in that locker room who want Joseph to return for year three, they are working for that as well. Can this turn the season around? Yes, they can go on a run from this. Another barometer game for them comes. I want to see how they respond against the Steelers next week. You know, like they beat the Cardinals and they come out against the Chiefs and they lose. That was not who the Broncos were against Arizona. I want to see if they can continue that into Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh at home, and see if they can continue that that winning streak. If they beat Pittsburgh, I'll start to believe a little more. But I want to see more from them at this level. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to the defense here in a little bit, but they're definitely going to have to play better 
coverage than they did today if they're going to take down Big Ben. But, you know, it's interesting because if you listen to, you know, the local radio, for example, in Denver, each show has its obligatory former Bronco, right? Each show, you got two hosts, one's a former player and then one's a, you know, career radio guy. But if you listen to them, there's a couple exceptions to this, but if you listen to former players, whether they're working for the radio or not, other analysts, and even people who aren't involved in the NFL anymore but are commenting on the game, with only a few exceptions, they're a lot more even-keeled and favorable in their perspective and opinions on Vance Joseph. For example, most Broncos fans and a lot of media covering the team, including yours truly, have been critical, extremely critical of Vance Joseph and, and, and favorable in terms of the Broncos firing him, moving on, ripping the Band-Aid off and moving forward, finding the, the next answer at head coach. But if you listen Rightly to, so, I must add. What's that? Rightly so, I must right. add. Right. And hey, and I'm not saying any, anyone's wrong yet. I'm not saying that. But here's the thing. Fans... You know, it's it's much more a close-to-the-bone type thing, whereas these analysts, they're like, look, here's the flip side. The Denver Broncos, yeah, going into this week, for example, they they were 3-6. and six. But if you look at the majority of their losses, not all of them, but the majority of them, like against twice against the Chiefs, that loss to the Texans, the loss to the Rams, I mean, these were really hot teams, the, the cream of the crop, type of teams in the NFL in which the Broncos were in a position to win those games. Now, the fan says, well, you know what, the Broncos didn't win, and that's why, that's the exact reason why Vance Joseph doesn't deserve to be head coach of this team. But some of these guys who have been in it, they've been in the pressure cooker, they they know what the long game is like, they understand the immediate reactions of fans and expectations, but they're viewing it much less anxiously, and they see more signs of optimism in the way the Broncos have played these teams. And I think that there's kind of a balance in between. I think Vance Joseph has is learning a lot as a head coach, and let us not forget the fact Zach, that I mean, he only had one year of coordinator experience before he took on this massive job of of coaching the Denver Broncos. But what do you say to people who view this as, look, Vance Joseph? In actuality, you know, he's made his mistakes. Obviously, there's been some some um, head scratching errors on his part, especially in key moments in games from a decision making perspective. But what do you say to the people who are like, look, he's done more good. This team has been in position to beat some of the best squads in the NFL. They've come up just short. And yet now you have them finally pulling through on one of these games and really making a statement type of win. Yeah, there are a few bounces of the ball away from being, you know, six and four potentially. So things could have gone their way more this season. And in today's game, they got the breaks from the refs. The the ball bounced their way. Uh, So it's encouraging that the Broncos can go toe to toe with the elite teams going forward. they, They face a few on there, including the Steelers. But it's those sneak teams, those those basement dwellers, those those spoiler teams that give the Broncos problems. And they have the Browns, they have the Bengals, the Raiders. Those are the teams that can derail their season. So Vance doesn't undo all his mistakes in one game, nor did the Arizona blowout change anything from his perspective on the hot seat. But he needs to put together a string of wins because he's shown that he can put together a string of blowouts. <laughs> right. he, needs to start, he needs to start putting together some wins now. If that can happen, like I said, week 12. The Steelers. This is a barometer game. If they win this game, I'll believe a little more. I'll give Joseph more credit. If they come out and fall on their face, we know that it was another outlier, and they are just still a below-average team. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the game itself 
Case Keenum, I think this was his defining game as a Denver Bronco. And in fact, this was his third fourth quarter comeback victory as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. And they only have four wins. So, I mean, he's had to battle back from some from some tough situations as the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. But if you look at his production on Sunday against the Chargers, you know, compared to Phillip Rivers, it was quiet. Phillip Rivers went over 400 yards passing. But Keenum went 19 of 32, 205 yards. He didn't throw any touchdown passes, but the running backs had three touchdowns combined. But most importantly, Zach, is Case Keenum did not throw an interception or turn the ball over for the second consecutive week. Now, last week, or I should say two weeks ago before the bye, the Broncos should have won that game. That should have resulted in a win were it not for some weird decision-making by Vance Joseph late and then, of course, the missed kick by McManus. So it goes to show for, for quarterbacks, obviously they're judged by wins and losses at the end of the day, but interceptions are the turnovers in general are one of the barometers that can really, if you, you could look at, at quarterback statistics, not even look at names and just look at interceptions and touchdown and that ratio and tell which teams have winning records and which teams do not. And so it's no secret that the Broncos, no no mystery, I should say, why the Broncos have found ways to lose games. Case Keenum throwing all those picks, but the last two weeks, you got to tip your cap to him, and especially this week where he was in the clutch, and I guess he did it too with Houston. He might have even been able to have gotten the Broncos even closer for McManus had Vance Joseph allowed him to do that. But you got to tip your cap to him because – he had the ball with minute and 51 left to go, zero timeouts on his own eight-yard line. Now, granted, he didn't have to get a touchdown, but he proceeded to, to drive the Broncos, whatever it was, 76 yards, something like that, with no timeouts. So I think it was a defining moment for Case Keenum, and I'll tell you this much. It was the type of victory when that kick finally went through after Anthony Lynn tried to ice Brandon McManus. And it finally went through, and uh, you can just see that burden lift off of Case Keenum's shoulders. I, I just felt good for the guy in that moment. It finally happened. I don't care about beating the the, uh, the Seahawks or the Raiders. This is the game in which K- Case Keenum's cashews dropped. This is when he became a big boy moment. When he grew up, he became a man. Whatever weird analogy you want to use, this was the moment that defined Case Keenum in Denver so far. This sort of went to justify his contract that he earned. And what doesn't show up in the stat sheet was that he was absolutely flawless in the fourth quarter on that final drive. He was 5 for 5 for, I think, 78 yards, got them in field goal range, uh, saved his own clock, made two absolutely gorgeous throws uh, to Sanders and Cortland Sutton down the seam. This is the moment that proved that the Broncos can win with Case Keenum. If he just doesn't turn the football over, they can win with a quarterback of the stature. That defense picking off Phillip Rivers and sacking him and containing him, they gave the Broncos offense a chance to win, and Keenum finally delivered by getting him down the field. It was a absolutely gutsy performance, and he was slinging that pigskin with ice in his veins. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about, I mean, he's making 18 million bucks, and he was brought in. Now, we know that's the 19th richest contract in the NFL for quarterbacks but it's a lot of money for the Broncos with the way their salary cap is juxtaposed all the money they're paying especially to defensive players and then you know big skill position guys like Demarius Thomas who's now gone but also Emmanuel Sanders and and so it's a lot of money is what I'm getting at and this is exactly why Case Keenum was brought in because even with the defense playing as well as they did in, in certain moments today Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, and even Brock Osweiler, arguably, 
wouldn't have had the wherewithal to, in the poise, in the key moments, in the clutch, to make the necessary plays that ended up being the difference between the Broncos losing yet another close one and actually winning. So you got to tip your cap to Case Keenum. I think it was a phenomenal step in the right direction from him. And now two weeks in a row in which you can really point to his play and say, look, he's the reason for the team doing well, as opposed to him being the reason that the Broncos are dropping games. So hats off to him. But we also got to talk about this phenomenal rookie running back, Philip Lindsay. And one thing mm-hmm. I wrote about, we'll kind of tie in the offense and the defense here into one quick topic after the game is obviously Philip Lindsay's making a, a legitimate bid to win offensive rookie of the year, hundred scrimmage yards pl- over hundred anyway, yet again, plus his two touchdowns. And then on the flip side of that coin, you've got Bradley Chubb who enters week 11 going against probably his biggest competition for defensive rookie of the year in the safety Derwin James and Chubb had himself a game with all the pressures he got. He ended up getting a sack as well. This team could legitimately Zach field at the end of this season the offensive and defensive rookies of the year and if that does not result in some kind of team success then I think you could maybe point with a lot more confidence at Vance Joseph being the reason why this team is not winning ballgames yeah because it's definitely not the scouting if they're if they're landing this type of draft class which is definitely the best in Elway's tenure it's you know Philip Lindsay as an undrafted free agent the guy is incredible uh they did their job and it's up to the coaching to do the rest. And I like to say it a lot, and I appreciate the, the hats up on Twitter with that. But it's coaching, coaching, coaching. And that's what it comes down to. It, Elway provides the groceries, and Vance Joseph cooks the meals. And it, except for today's game, it's led to bad meals. So uh, Philip Lindsay, he's I've been saying it for a while now. He's the best Broncos running back on the roster by far. I know Royce Freeman got the early down work and the, and the headlines, but Lindsey is is more than just a third down back, more than just a scat back. He's more than just Darren Sproles, which is what he was compared to. He's just as quick, but he has more of between-the-tackles ability. The Broncos can do anything with him. He's by far their biggest playmaker, and it's amazing how he's went from a third down running back and a, an undrafted free agent to the best Broncos player doing Terrell Davis mile-high salutes in the end zone. It's incredible to see. And then on top of that, you have a guy like Royce Freeman who, you know, he's really been used as kind of the grinder to pound the opposition into a more malleable form so that Philip Lindsay can come back in the game and then just jet by dudes and just it burst and explode through the hole and really just get the defense on its heels. But he's, he's just maybe not as valuable. I shouldn't say just as valuable as Philip Lindsay. But still, Royce Freeman has proven to be as dependable as it comes. Now, if you look at his stat line, he didn't have a great yards per carry average. He carried it seven times for 23 yards, so he's just over three yards per carry. But he had that touchdown. He had a lot of tough running, and he was able to pick up some extra yards. The only time he did anything that made me kind of go, eh, was on that third down. But then again, that third down that led to the fourth, the, the decision by Vance Joseph to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal, it was Royce Freeman who was met in the backfield by an unblocked Melvin Gordon. I still feel like he should have, he, he could have and should have picked up more yards had he been trying to get downhill a little bit sooner. But that was my only gripe with Royce Freeman in a game in which you could argue that wasn't even his fault that he was met for basically no gain on third down. He's running hard. I think this team has legitimately the best thunder, lightning, lightning, thunder, 
running back duo in the NFL, and they're both rookies, which means they got four more years, or three more years, I should say, of this caliber of production, health willing from Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Yeah, you, you, you totally stole the metaphor. I mean, it's the perfect 1A, 1B setup for the Broncos, and I totally see your point. Freeman definitely has value. I'm just saying that Philip Lindsay is by far the Broncos' biggest playmaker, regardless of position, oh, yeah. and with res, res, with respect to Emmanuel Sanders. It's the perfect backfield, and I give Elway, Vance Joseph, Gary Kubiak, Matt Russell a ton of credit for envisioning that, moving on from C.J. Anderson and, to an extent, Devontae Booker, and upgrading with Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay on paper, and in hindsight, uh, it was a terrific move. Oh, yeah. And there's no doubt about it. And the NFL, at the end of this season, they're going to have a really tough choice probably in terms of who the offensive rookie of the year is going to be. It's going to probably come down to Philip Lindsay and Saquon Barkley. And it's going to take a near miracle, no matter how productive Philip Lindsay continues to be throughout this season, in order for him to win the offensive rookie of the year award because of how much it will gall the NFL overall to hand it to an undrafted guy and even a guy who wasn't even invited to the NFL scouting combine. And one thing I'll say, too, as we're talking about running backs is, and I tweeted about this during the game, talked about it on the game day open thread on the website, at what point do these coaches realize that in clutch moments you need your clutch players on the field? So thankfully Case Keenum was able to overcome this, but on that final possession, in fact the final two possessions in which the Broncos were trying to move the ball no, not a lot of time left, no timeouts, especially on that final possession. And you've got Devontae Booker, the plotter, on the field instead of the most explosive player in the stadium in Phillip Lindsay. Now, I get that Booker probably understands blitz pick up a little bit better. He's better in pass protection. He's more experienced. But at what point do you reach the, the point of diminishing returns in that sense where, you know, that dump off over the middle, for example, on the final drive – Booker's able to pick up whatever it was, six, seven yards. But if that's Philip Lindsay ca- catching that ball, that might have been a 15 or 16 or 17-yard pickup, if not more. And that's what I'm saying for the Denver Broncos is, look, we understand pass protection is important. You want to have a guy in there on third down or in pa- obvious passing situations that's not going to be a liability as a blocker. But again, it's at a certain point you begin to cut off your own nose despite your own face by keeping a playmaker like Philip Lindsay off the field at the point in in the game in which you need plays the most. Yeah, the Broncos tonight and for the last several weeks have screwed up their personnel packages at times. It was in that fourth and one, I believe, they went with uh, Philip Lindsay up the middle, not Royce Freeman, the big banger, even even uh, Andy Janovich. Yeah, you know they it was they just it's personnel. And it comes down to coaching. The players can only do what they're told. They can only be sent on the field and accomplish what they're told to do. So it's the coaches not putting them in the proper position to succeed. It's what it comes down to. Hopefully the next regime can work with all these Broncos players cohesively and maximize their talents. Absolutely. Another guy we got to talk about, Cortland Sutton, led the team with 78 receiving yards. I want to see him get a few more balls thrown his way during a game so that he can rack up better statistics. I mean, 78 yards is great. But I feel like they need to try a little bit harder to to target him in order to get him into a rhythm because he just finds ways, whether it's big catches in and of itself or to make things happen with the ball in his hands after the catch. I really love what Cortland Sutton's been doing. If you look at that trio of rookies, I mean, Lindsey's over a hundred all Lindsey's over a hundred scrimmage yards yet again. Royce Freeman he only chipped in just over twenty yards, but then you got Cortland Sutton with seventy eight yards. 
that's over 200 yards from three rookies on a team in which you got names like Emmanuel Sanders, you got veterans like Jeff Hireman. So the Broncos are continuing to benefit from this influx of rookie talent, especially on the offensive side. Yeah, I, I want to point out that the Broncos really haven't missed a beat without Demarius Thomas. And, you know, Case Keenum hasn't thrown a pick in two games since DT has been gone. So maybe, you know, something to think about if you have a tinfoil uh, helmet on. Yeah. But uh, Cortland Sutton, he's going to be a stud. He's a stud already. He's making the most of his opportunities. But what people have to remember is that he's still a raw developmental player. He's not fully there just yet with conditioning and route running. He, you know, he was raw in college, very talented. It's going to come along. I agree with you. I would throw the ball up more to him. The one thing about Bill Musgrave tonight is that, or maybe even just Case Keenum, he was very tentative. The Broncos are playing very conservatively until the fourth quarter. They open up the offense and trust the receivers down the field. I'd like to see more, you know, 80-20 balls to Cortland Sutton because they're not 50-50 balls. He's right. going to get his opportunity, and he's going to be really good. Uh, 78 yards, most of them were clutch with that big catch. So very encouraging. I love the guy. He's probably my favorite pick of this draft class, and I think that's saying a lot. We also would be remiss to not touch on – the offensive line as far as offensive storylines here from week 11. I mean, this unit has been embattled. They've been beleaguered. Whatever adjective you want to use to describe a unit that has just been dropping like flies, starters left and right, Matt Paradis, Ron Leary, and then Max Garcia in practice this past week leading up to the game. You had Connor McGovern be the first player not named Matt Paradis start at center since the 2014 season, and then a first-time starter in Elijah Wilkinson at right guard. It was his first start, first career start. And then you got Billy Turner for the first time anyway as a Bronco starting at left guard. And they were able to not only pick up more than 100 yards on the ground and pave the way for another productive day for Philip Lindsay and, and Royce Freeman, but also to keep Case Keenum's jersey clean. Zero sacks relinquished to the likes of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, and that is really saying something. And Case Keenum talked about it after the game, especially on that final drive. You go back and watch. That offensive line played their asses off and kept him protected and gave him the opportunity to dissect the Chargers defense. I was shocked in a good way by how well they all performed to have a new left guard center and right guard against the Chargers defense that half of their sacks are came within their defensive linemen and that interior held up and they were arguably better. I think the Broncos actually have something in Wilkinson at guard. And what's interesting is that with McGovern succeeding at center, they have two built-in replacements with Paradis being a free agent, Leary being a cap casualty potentially. They have in-house replacements now. And this is what Elway needed for so long was having developmental guys progressing on that offensive line. And I think he found something in Wilkinson. Turner killed it at left guard. McGovern held up at center. Bowles was a little shaky. He had that pressure on Bosa, but that's to be expected. Valdir was okay. I mean, overall, though, I was surprised by how well they held up. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at Wilkinson and, and actually listen to a segment on Denver Radio 104.3 The Fan earlier this week in which it was it was right as the Max Garcia news was breaking. I was at the gym working out. I had some radio going on in my ears. And Orlando Franklin comes on, and they bring him in as kind of the expert O-line guy to discuss how this is going to trickle down to the unit. And he says, look, I'm, I'm high on Elijah Wilkinson. This kid can play. He's a mauler in the run game. Yeah, just yep. like... Uh, Billy Musgrave said earlier in the week that he's probably more of a tackle than he is a guard, but he is a powerful run blocker, and he more than held his own against a defensive interior with the names like Brandon Meebane, Corey Legit, Legit, whatever, however you pronounce his name. And this kid 
more than held his own. And meanwhile, you had Billy Turner, who's having to learn how to not necessarily learn, but having to refigure out how to play with his left hand in the dirt instead of his right, playing on that side after playing right tackle and right guard for the Broncos the last season and a half. So, and Garrett Bowles, look, the way I see it is if he can manage to keep sacks off of Case Keenum and not commit penalties in crucial moments, that's a victory because his talent rises to the surface otherwise. I mean, he's he is an athletic pass blocker. He's got to get his technique down, become more consistent and disciplined. But as a run blocker, he is an asset. He is a plus for the Denver Broncos and one of the reasons why they are one of the top rushing units in the NFL. So, you know, he, it's, it's in vogue to really hate on Garrett Bowles, and I understand it just because of how mystifying his penalties have been the last year and a half the entire time, basically, he's been a Bronco. I get that. But you also have to recognize why the Denver Broncos are as high on him as they are and why they took him with the 20th overall pick in the draft last season. The kid's got some skill. He's just got to put it together between the years. And the last couple of games have at least been encouraging that he's on the right track that way. It's funny It's funny you say that because in my good, bad, ugly weekly Twitter column thing, I actually put bowls in the bad category, and I got a lot of pushback against that, and I thought about it. And maybe I was a little too harsh on bowls in this game to only allow one pressure going one-on-one against Joey Bosa. I mean, that's that's pretty commendable. So I do want to take it back. I think bowls was all right, but I, I give a bigger tip of my cap to the interior guys like I said especially Wilkinson and Turner for really holding up but I do want to take it back against Garrett Bowles he was actually pretty pretty good tonight I mean three guys starting in a position for the first time this year I mean Connor McGovern played center last summer while Matt Paradis was recovering from bilateral bilateral hip surgery but then you had Wilkinson first career start and Turner starting at left guard for the first time this season so hats off to those guys what a performance and we still want to touch on what we saw and react to the defensive performance overall, what some of the takeaways and gleanings are from that side of the ball. But first, we got to talk about my bookie because sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining, you guys, when you have some action on the games. Now, you've heard us talking about this for weeks and weeks now, but some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn 100 bucks into 600 And there's so much to bet on. College basketball, you got football, NBA, NHL, there are custom props, even esports, you name it. My bookie is the one bet, though, I know you'll be happy with all year. And I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews and their mobile site. You guys, it's easy to use. Sign up this week and my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also, make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter because they personally respond to every mention in DM, not to mention that they've given away more than 10 grand in free money to their followers this football season. So you'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. But don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports all year. Log on to MyBookie right now, use promo code HUDDLE, and get 50% deposit bonus in your account. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's just briefly touch on the defense. You know, it was one of those performances where they giveth and they taketh uh, in the same breath, so to speak. Melvin Gordon was held to just 69 yards on the ground. That's a 3.8 average on 18 attempts. 
which is a win. That's a big win for a Broncos defense who, ever since that, that three-game skid in which they allowed back-to-back 200-yard rushers, and then they allowed Kareem Hunt also over 100. So they, in three games, allowed over 500 yards rushing on the ground. Since then, they've really stiffened. And, I mean, to, to limit a guy like Melvin Gordon to just 69 yards almost on 20 attempts is really saying something. So they give in that sense. They also give by harassing and sacking Phillip Rivers three times and picking him off twice. But then they take away by allowing Rivers to basically pick them apart anytime they went into zone, especially going over 400 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and obviously that Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates connection is still alive and well despite both of them getting a little bit long in the tooth. But what were some of your takeaways from Denver's defensive performance in Week 11? It's kind of reverting back to last year where the Broncos are pretty stout against the run but still susceptible against the pass. They've stepped up in recent weeks, and I think it has more of them playing more nickel defense. And I think Brandon Marshall being out with an injury has actually helped this Broncos run defense with Josie Jewell getting more playing time. They've stepped up, and it seems like they had a specific game plan in mind to limit Melvin Gordon in this game, and they executed on that. And I want to give a big shout-out to uh, Domitai Pecco, who's having an outstanding season. And uh, I would like for the Broncos to resign him next year. He's a free agent. Uh, Derek Wolf, though, Adam Gatzis, even Zach Kerr had a big stuff with one arm. This entire Broncos run defense was stout tonight. 69 yards to Melvin Gordon is nothing. They, they held him in check. It's a big reason or big part of the reason why they won the game tonight. Yeah, I mean, if, if Vance Joseph is somehow miraculously retained, I think you'll see Domata Pecco re-sign or Domata, however you pronounce it. I think it's Domata. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you'll see him get re-signed. But if Vance Joseph does indeed hit the bricks, the next regime might have a hard time wanting a guy of his age coming back. But right. you're right. He's, played, he's right. played really, really well. And he's helped to put that rush defense back on point as that big space-eating nose tackle. But I think also, really, the only reason this defense was able to win – today against the Chargers is you had Von Miller and Bradley Chubb just continuing to wreak havoc on the edge. Both of them were able to notch a sack for Chubb. That puts him one away from from double digits as a rookie. And Von Miller, that puts him at 10 sacks on the year, which is the fifth consecutive 10-sack season for him and the seventh of his eight-year career. So the only time Von didn't get over double-digit sacks in a single season was the year in which he missed six games for suspension. 2013 and then tore his ACL later on in the year so he basically got just under half the games and I think it was something like six and a half sacks something like that but that's the only time in which he did not go over at least 10 sacks on a season and if you think about it I mean all of last year he was only able to get 10 and a half sacks I say only but for Von Miller 10 and a half it's not great he's only a half sack away from that heading into week 12. Yeah, he's kind of stepped up back to his, you know, his quarterback harassing ways. And I think it's helped him by having Bradley Chubb, obviously. But when the Broncos don't get home on defense, then they're still hurt through the air. So they're depending more on the pass rush. And Von Miller is getting home, fortunately, more often than not. Bradley Chubb, though, to me, is still impressing a hell of a lot more. Because I know what to expect with Von Miller. He's going to get his sacks. He's going to make his plays. But Bradley Chubb, even against the run now, he sets the edge. It was his biggest weakness in the preseason. And it's just amazing how quickly he's developed. I'm so impressed by him. And it's, you know, it's, it's unbelievable to think that 
Von Miller's in range to become the franchise all-time sack leader, passing up Simon Fletcher, yep. and Bradley Chubb could be the single-season NFL rookie sack holder, uh, besting Javon Kurtz. They can have that in the same year. So it's pretty incredible to think about. And you're right. I mean, that's the biggest difference we're talking about here for Von Miller is that it's, there's a big difference between having the combination of Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray rushing on the other side and a guy of Bradley Chubb's wherewithal. But Von Miller, that was actually his 100th career sack, which in- includes postseason. And it's the fifth fastest that a player has ever reached that mark among players who began their careers at 1982 mm-hmm. or later. So it's phenomenal, Salute. phenomenal production. And then Brandon McManus, just a couple other miscellaneous notes, kicked his fifth career game-winning field goal to give the Broncos the win. Philip Lindsay. Uh, let's see here. His 41-yard rushing touchdown in the second quarter represents the longest scoring run by the Broncos this season and the second longest rush overall. Then you had Colby Wadman, the punter, execute a fake punt attempt in the second quarter. Which, <laughs> that was you great. Know, you got you to gotta tip your cap to Vance Joseph having the, the cashews, as you say. I love that. Um, <laughs> yes, to, go for, to go for it on fourth down, picked up 12 yards to Andy Janovich, and that play – represents just the third all-time pass completed by a punter in Broncos history. So the only two other players to do it was Chris Norman back in 86 and Riley Dixon as a rookie in 2016. And then Bradley Chubb with his nine sacks, he's now tied for the fourth most sacks ever by a rookie through his first 10 games and the most since Von Miller had nine and a half through his first 10 games in 2011. And then last thing here is Chris Harris, you got to tip your cap to him with his second quarter interception, which was his second of the season, the 18th of his career. He is now the only NFL player with multiple interceptions in each of the last seven seasons. So that dates back to 2012. So you got to tip your cap to him on uh, what just has been a phenomenal under the radar and and perennially underappreciated career from the former undrafted rookie. So, that uh, I think that pretty much covers as far as our immediate analysis on the game. Let's move on to what you guys are thinking in the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests, and we're here to offer that absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And sometimes you've just got to be able to unburden your soul and exercise those football demons. And the first one here comes from Aquaman. His question is, how bad is Vance Joseph? Two obvious challenge situations doesn't challenge either. Now, here's the thing. I was writing after the game, uh, the the five things we learned piece, which I, I do after each and every game for the website, and I was going to lambast Joseph, but then the more I thought about it, that decision, there was a reason why he held the red flag on Keenum's two-point conversion. Keenum, to us, it was easy to see he got there, but he was being given Joseph some conflicting information that made it sound like to him that his odds of winning that challenge were slim, which would have resulted in a lost timeout. The Broncos would have needed that timeout, and it came in handy big time on the Chargers' final possession in which they were able to limit them and get them off the field. So what were your thoughts, though, overall on Vance Joseph? As Aquaman points out here, two obvious challenge situations doesn't challenge either. I mean, that's his thing. He, he's so bad when it comes to situational game awareness and, and coaching. He doesn't know when to challenge. He doesn't challenge the right plays. You know, what he shouldn't challenge, he does. What he doesn't, he should. It, it's it's just when you challenge as a coach, it comes down to intuition, listening to your, you know, your trusted people upstairs and with your own eyes and trusting your own eyes and knowing enough, you know, about football to know what's going on. 
I don't think he has that. I don't think he has that combination to succeed in that situation. And that's why I think a part of the reason why he's such a bad coach is that it's just between the ears and those four quarters on Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, he, he just doesn't have it. He, he really doesn't. He doesn't know how to adapt to a situation. He, he should have challenged certain plays and not challenged certain plays. And you can't – I don't think he's ever going to learn that. And I don't think we're going to have to worry about that for too much longer. I think part of the problem is that he's pressing. And so each and every yeah, moment for true. him feels magnified internally. And so you're not seeing him coach from a, nat- a, a natural poised, I don't know, comportment emotionally – like you do with most coaches in the NFL. He's pressing, he's under the gun, he's stressed out. And so each and every situation, which many of which should be kind of no-brainer decisions, here's what you do here, here's what you do there, become these massive tugs of war almost in his own mind. And then, of course, because the Broncos have been struggling, it's even more magnified from the outside perspective wearing down on him. So hopefully he can grow. That's the only thing you can hope for at this point is these situations in which he makes questionable decisions in key moments that he learns from them and can pay that forward down the stretch. Now, one other question here from Aquaman that kind of follows up on Vance is, is Keenum becoming mediocre enough to keep as the starter next year? <laughs> now, here's here's what I'll say to this before serving it up to you, Zach, is if we could get the version of Case Keenum the last two weeks, which is not, let's face it, he's not setting the world on fire. It's not like he's Peyton Manning in his prime, or not prime, but Peyton Manning at his peak here in Denver where, you know, he's over 300 each and every week. He's got three, four touchdowns. The Broncos are rolling dudes and just steamrolling teams. That's not what's happening, but he's playing within himself. He's playing within the system. He's not turning the ball over. And for the most part, he's he has the Broncos offense making plays when they need to make plays. But what's your question? And if that's the case, you know, I, I, I can live with Case Keenum. And I can even get maybe a little bit excited about the idea of Case Keenum under center for the Broncos next year. But what's your answer for Aquaman there? Is Keenum becoming mediocre enough to keep him as the starter next year? You know, I just want to say to your last point about Vance Joseph, that's a great point. It, it really is. It should be, you know, you know, uh, brought to light more that this wasn't a Vance Joseph coach kind of game. I just want to point it out real quick. They were very aggressive with that onside kick, with their play calling. So a uh, great point by you. That's all I wanted to say about that. Uh, yeah, without, without – uh, in terms of Keenum, he's. I think he's going to be the starter regardless next year. It, it would take something drastic. They don't have a built-in replacement on the roster. Perhaps if Chad Kelly was still around and not on the streets, uh, they would have something to give them hope. But they don't have that right now. So barring a trade for a young quarterback or a veteran quarterback or them drafting the number one overall quarterback in the draft, they're probably going to have Keenum as the starter. If anything, as that veteran holdover while they find the replacement, hopefully, for 2020. With his money situation and the fact that Broncos don't have any other resources, it doesn't really matter if he's mediocre or not. He just has to be alive and breathing, and he'll be the Broncos quarterback next year. Yeah. Plan on Case Keenum continuing to start for your Broncos next year, but that doesn't mean they're not going to look for other solutions. In fact, I'm guaranteeing it right now the Denver Broncos are going to draft a quarterback in 2019. It's just a matter of where. Um, now, we move on to Chad at Montana 91 on Twitter. Chad's question is, why does Philip Lindsay not claim the starting role permanently from here on out? He's clearly the better back. Your answer. 
Vance Joseph and Bill Musgrave, they love that that three-headed attack. And, and titles don't really matter on the Broncos' backfield. They're just formalities. Lindsey is by far, and obviously, the they're number one running back. He was the starter today, even with Royce Freeman back from injury. Uh, they know where their bread is buttered. And that's the best offensive playmaker on the team in Philip Lindsey. And that compliment to him in Royce Freeman. Titles don't really matter. He is the de facto starter on this team. And he will be going forward with Freeman mixing in for early downs and goal line work. And you have Devontae Booker as well for miscellaneous you know stuff right and the thing to keep in mind chad is do you really want philip Lindsay touching the ball 20 plus times week in and week out i mean i'm not saying it's a bad idea necessarily but you got to think about it a little bit from the coach's perspective in that he's a diminutive guy he's under 200 pounds they don't want to push their luck and thus lose their spark and lose their biggest playmaker offensively and that's why Royce Freeman, when healthy, you know, he's probably going to start more often than not, and he's going to compliment and take some of the pressure off of Philip Lindsay so that they can keep this kid healthy for this stretch run. And then the next question here comes from Evan at Oliva's714. I'm not sure exactly if I pronounced that right. Uh, on Twitter, Evan's question, if the Broncos miss the playoffs by two games or less, Zach, does Vance survive another year? No. He's gone regardless, barring a playoff run and deep in the playoffs, you know, at least the second round or just a a, a miraculous winning streak where they're blowing out teams left and right starting next week. He's gone. Elway's probably put those wheels into motion already. Uh, He knows that this is not a playoff season and he has reason now to give Joseph his walking papers. So barring anything just unforeseen, a, a big winning streak or a playoff push, Joseph is gone regardless. Yeah, my answer today is that if the Broncos don't make the playoffs, which is probable, Vance Joseph does not remain head coach. If the Broncos make the playoffs, I would have a hard time seeing John Elway make a change there, even considering the fact that, and I agree with you on this, he's probably already put things in motion to find that next guy. But you don't want to – I mean, you look at some of the teams that have made changes in season like or after playoff years, like firing Mike Malarkey in Tennessee – after a playoff year. Now, granted, they were a, basically a 500-caliber team that overachieved and found themselves in the playoffs, but you're kind of tempting fate when you fire a coach after they led your team to the playoffs. So next question here comes from Cole Mason, at Cole Mason 4i. I believe that's an I, not a 1 on Twitter. Question, Cravens was brought in to be the guy who can cover tight ends but got toasted every time he matched up with the 100-year-old Antonio Gates. Should he get a pass, Cravens, since he hasn't played much, or should we be concerned considering that we still have to play guys like McDonald, Kittle, and Cook? Your answer for Cole. I mean, those are all daunting tight ends, and the Broncos still can't cover a tight end, even with Sue Cravens brought in for that one reason. I'm more inclined to give him a pass, though, because he was out of the of the you know the picture for so long with that knee surgery. If this continues to, to develop, then obviously he's not playing well. But I think for one week, um, I'll give him a pass. They still can't. I think it's scheme more than any one player is concerned. Justin Simmons has regressed in this scheme. Mm. He'd be better in a different scheme. So I think this whole defensive, the the, the back end of this this defense. With a better coaching staff, we'll see more with them. So I'm not holding them to an individual standard. Uh, but I do think Cravens played well against the run. He should be good going forward. I want to see what he can do against Vance McDonald. That's a big guy. He's in half to guard. Yeah. I mean, at this point, what was that, his second game back? 
Yeah. And really his second real NFL game since he was a rookie. So he's still very much, very much, Cole, getting his his game legs beneath him and really getting dialed back into NFL speed. It's one thing to sit and watch film. It's one thing to practice Monday through Thursday or Tuesday through Thursday, I should say. It's another thing entirely to get out there in, at full speed with NFL athletes and against NFL offenses and tight ends and just step in and be flawless. And in fact, if you go back and watch some of those plays in which he was on the losing end, like especially that big catch and run from Antonio Gates on third down, where I think he rumbled 40-something yards or whatever it was, but he dove to try and deflect. And his coaches after that, they're going to watch the film. They're going to say, hey, Sua, the reason he was able to pick up as many yards as he did was because you chose to leave your feet and go for the ball instead of saying, look, I'm probably not going to deflect this and I need to limit the damage. So it's little things like that. Like if he would have been able to wrap Gates up there, they still would have got the first down and would have moved the chains. But it goes from being just a eight, nine yard completion to what it became, you know, 30, 40 yard pickup. So it's those little things like that awareness, speed of the game. He's getting his game legs back underneath him. So give him a little bit more time. And, you know, as Zach said, he has really helped from a run fit perspective playing the dimebacker when they are in their sub packages to limit one of the best running backs in the NFL in Melvin Gordon to not even 70 yards rushing. So uh, last thing here, let's see. This comes from Chad also on Twitter. His question is, is our secondary a liability? Constantly giving up big plays. And your answer for Chad with regard to the Broncos secondary, which had, I'll say this, a inspired performance from Bradley Roby, but you saw the safeties especially, and then you saw... Guys like, uh, what's his name? Just slipped my mind. Tremaine Brock getting dealt with, and even Chris Harris on one or two passes, being on the losing end of an extremely bright, sharp connection of Rivers and, and Allen. Harris still held his own. Harris did what he does week in and week out. But what are your thoughts on overall the secondary? Is it, has it become a full-blown liability with Rivers going over four hundo? I mean, did I misread the calendar? Is it week one and not week 11? Yeah, they're a liability. They've been a liability for over a year now with Vance Joseph and Joe Woods and going to his own scheme and all these players regressing in their scheme and and the Broncos coaching staff not being able to develop one cornerback despite using two third-round picks on cornerbacks. Yeah, they're a liability. No, there's no one player in this Broncos back end that has stepped up consistently. Chris Harris, yeah, maybe him. He's still a pro bowler. He's had his moments too, though. And you could say he's uh, kind of regressed just a little bit. And I know more is put on his plate, but Bradley Roby is having an awful season. Tremaine Brock hasn't been anything special. Adam Jones, you know, Isaac Yadam. They're always a liability. And until this coaching staff is replaced, they will be. It's just as simple as that. One of the biggest things plaguing this, this defense is that On one hand, you have the cornerbacks taking a significant drop-off in talent and production over the last couple of years. And then this year, which has made added insult to injury, on the other hand, is that the safeties have been terrible. And Darian Stewart, you know, he's, he's still a physical force, and I think he's better than what the Broncos have elsewhere right now. It's better when he's on the field than when he's not. But Justin Simmons, again, I, I tweeted this during the game, he needs to change his middle name to almost because he's that guy that's almost there. He's a day late. He's a dollar <laughs> short. And he's just not seeing 
the, the, the play unfold in front of him the way you would expect a player of his football IQ and his talent in his third year. So that's been one of the probably the biggest disappointment on the defensive side of the ball for me this year has been really it's not just a lack of progression from Justin Simmons. It's been a straight-up regression, which is really a shame because he is a talented player, and I can't help but agree with you in that it's got to, the coaching has to, have a, a, has to come into play somewhere in this equation in terms of trying to explain how a player of his magnitude and such a promising rookie has fallen to the, to the place where he's at right now. What does it say that in 2016 he was billed as a blossoming star? Then a new coaching staff comes in and he falls apart. What what's the one factor at work there? I don't think it's the player. So, it just there's a bunch of players on this Broncos team. My disappointment, the biggest one of the season was Demarcus Walker never getting a chance to just blossom. He had two solo tackles last week, a sack, a quarterback hit. The next week he's inactive. Mm. This is your 2017 second round draft pick who every time when he's on the field has been around the quarterback. His one job. And he can't even get on the field. It's it all comes down to coaching. And you know, I'm excited for that one aspect of the new regime and the new coaching staff, provided it's the right guy, is for some of these players to be played right and at their own position and as often as they need to be. Before we get out of here, let's touch just real quick, it just occurred to me on the Gary Kubiak news that broke Sunday morning. Mm. Now you reported yes. on it. Zach, why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts overall on what you expect to see happen there? From what I understand is that Gary Kubiak is open to taking a NFL def- offensive coordinator job. He doesn't want to come back as a head coach. He left because of those health day-to-day stressors. He doesn't want all that that daily work. He would consider opportunities to come back as an assistant, as a play caller, like he had with the Broncos twice. He had with the Ravens, you know, once. That's his forte that's his thing he can come back to the sidelines still stay close to the game and not have to absorb all the work as a head coach nothing has been finalized nothing is coming close to that yet he's still in that role and I believe that's a really lucrative role so it would take a lot it would take a really good opportunity for Kubiak to leave what's a you know the golden egg he has here and go for a back to the sideline job which is in essence a not even a lateral move it's a step backwards so yeah he's open to it but nothing's been finalized, and for right now, he's still in the front office with Elway. To me, that would be, unless he's just burning and champing at the bit to get back to coaching, Like that would be a really curious move because he's basically become John Elway's right-hand man in the front office. He doesn't right. have the immediate pressures and stressors, even as a coordinator. That's a tough job, dude, and it, requ- it, it requires a tremendous amount of hours. And it's not that he's probably not putting in hours now, but I guarantee you, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what he'd be putting in even as an offensive coordinator. So this is one of those stories that struck me as just really odd, and especially the timing of it. And if there is any veracity or truth to it, and I even haven't had time myself yet with the game going on today, to really check with some of the people I know and see how much truth there is to this. But this is one of those that, to me, I would really have a hard time seeing the Broncos anyway even allow this to become a a possibility. Like if Kubiak came to them and said, hey, guys, you know, I've got this team and that team willing to offer me a boatload of money to come be the O coordinator, I think the Broncos will try and find a way to to cough up some coin or another promotion of some sort to keep him in the fold. 
I want to point out one thing real quick, though, that a year ago, almost to the day, Jason Lockenfora reported that teams were sniffing around Gary Kubiak. So this is not the first time this news has come up. A few months later, Elway elevates him and gives him a promotion to that new shiny front office label. So there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm sure there's teams calling about Gary Kubiak. But how much more can Elway entice him if that's what it takes to keep him in Denver? Mm-hmm. If he's saying, listen, match my offer or I'm gone, what more could he do? He's already pretty high up in that in that chain of command. I, if there's an attractive enough offer, he'll consider it. I still think it's unlikely, though. Considering what you said, it's still a stressful job to yeah. be a coordinator at this level. So, And he makes pretty good money now. I just, I really don't see it happening. Well, I mean, the thing to keep in mind with Kubiak, here's the last thing I'll say, is that, I mean, is it really a surprise to anyone that he is well-regarded and in demand around the league? I mean, he's a, he's got multiple rings, three of which are as, a, as an offensive coordinator. So the guy knows how the sausage, the championship sausage gets made. It's no surprise that NFL teams, especially those out there who might be struggling to create some offense right now, might have an interest in his services. But again, for me, it would come down to, I think the Broncos would find a way to just kind of sweeten the pot a little bit, whether that means promoting him, making him an actual VP of some kind of personnel department. So I wouldn't, as a Broncos fans right now, I would not sweat too much this particular story that broke ahead of week 11. What about this, though? What if I saw the scenario being thrown out there? What if John Harbaugh at head coach and Gary Kubiak offensive coordinator of the Broncos? Right. If it were with the Broncos, I could see it happening. I just think that right now, just from what I know, is that Gary Kubiak has other priorities than just taking that next offensive coordinator job. He really values his place within the Broncos organization. I think he really values and appreciates what he's doing, working with John Elway in the scouting department, making personnel decisions. He really digs that. And again, if it really did become that type of a situation, John Harbaugh gets the hire. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I still would be have a hard time seeing that happen because why did you just three years ago, if that's really what happens, why did you step down from being head coach? That's like saying that you're taking, you're, you're stepping down from a job that's got you know, on a scale of one to 10, that's stressing you out on a 10 and you're, you're, you're stepping down to a seven. Like that's still a lot of stress, dude. That's still a lot of pressure on you on a week to week. And his wife, Rhonda was really keen and his kids on the toll it was taking on him physically. And it's not just the pressure and expectations of being the shot caller on the field each and every day as the coach, the head coach, as a coordinator, you it's not like this, that job does not come. I mean, ask Bill Musgrave right now if offensive coordinator doesn't come with some pressure. It absolutely does. So, again, this is just one of those stories where I wouldn't be opposed to that, him working under Harbaugh in Denver. But I just it's one of those things where I would believe it when I see it. Maybe Kubiak resigned to get away from Pax and Lynch. Maybe, maybe maybe that actually happened. No, I would. I'm just saying I would love the Harbaugh Kubiak connection at, you know with the Broncos coaching staff. I just think in a, I'm living in La La Land with that scenario. But it, thinking in those terms, it'd be pretty ideal. Yeah. That's all. And he did basically help lay the groundwork for arguably Joe Flacco's best statistical season as a pro. So. 2014 that year he was in Baltimore but hey look that's all the time we have for today you can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman 24 7 myself at Chad and Jensen do not forget to subscribe y'all and be sure to leave a five-star rating on the huddle up podcast for Zach Kelberman I'm Chad Jensen we'll talk to you soon 
You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.